for that we were going to be in this new series called Gold Top Jesus. And we saw often that we decide to make Jesus in our own image, don't we? Rather than being made into the image of Jesus, we make Jesus into the image of ourselves. And we choose which parts of him we want in our lives, which bits fit best at different times. And we compared Jesus, I don't know how we can do this theologically, but we compared Jesus to milk. And we said that sometimes we can go in almost like a supermarket sort of way and choose the skimmed version of Jesus that we want or the semi-skimmed. And even when we pick up the full fat style and we think we're full fat Christians and we're following them whole wholeheartedly, we're truthfully not because actually to the right of the shelf, up the top, there is the gold top Jesus, and we need to reach out for him. You see, gold top Jesus is something that we don't just neck quickly and have the odd quick pint of it, but gold top Jesus isn't sold in masses of bottles. If you look at gold top milk, it's sold in smaller bottles because it's so pure, so thick, so rich, and it's there to be enjoyed and to permeate into you. And I want to encourage you that we need to be choosing gold top Jesus to allow him to permeate into us. I showed that Gold Top Jesus is the revealer of the Father, the creator of the world, and the sustainer of the universe. And therefore, we need to understand that we, that, that, uh, how big he is. We need to start to understand we cannot water him down, but we must embrace the fullness of Jesus in order for us to grow in the fullness of our faith within him. This week, we're going to continue this theme of Gold Top Jesus. And we're going to look at the Jesus that understands uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you start to turn with me? Or if you turn it on, it will be on the screen as well. But I would in- start to encourage you, bring a Bible. These are things that uh, a little bit feels a bit old school, but it's important that we pick up the Scriptures and we know what they feel like. And we know where the Scriptures are found, that we just don't Google these things. We can become lazy with that. And so we're looking at Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from verse 14. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where someone has said to you or someone has done something uh, or that has triggered an emotional or physical reaction and you've you've responded by just either like quite emotional and that person's responded by going, I know, I understand. I understand what you're going through, Paul. I've been there. A couple of weeks, mate, and you'll be feeling different. Don't worry. A couple of weeks and it'll all be right. Don't worry. You're going through financial strain. This happened to me. And it was absolutely fine, don't worry about it, it's all okay, I understand. Or maybe you've been that person who said that. The truth is, there's a bit of social science here, and I can't remember the actual terminology, but it's almost like a narcissistical thing if we're not careful, because we turn the conversation from listening to that person to truly understanding them to making them think about us. We talk about our feelings and our our problems and how great we are because we overcame it. And then we came to, we don't actually feel like understood or we don't feel cared about, and we don't feel heard at all. And actually, when we're saying those words, we often say it because we want to just kind of, shh, it's okay, let's move on quickly, let's move on, let's move on. But we're called to minister with grace and truth and love and peace. And so how can we do all these things and without making it about us? Because often we will feel, well, you don't get me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the choices I've had to make. You don't know what I'm carrying. You don't know the the pressures that are upon me. How can you say you walk in my shoes? You stand there at the front and you're, uh, you're completely different to me. You look different to me. You've got a different circumstance to me. How can you tell me how to live my life and how can you understand what I go through? And it's true, I I don't fully understand what everybody goes through because I've not stood in your position or vice versa. You don't know what I go through. 
But the thing is, we can trust God. And we can trust him because he is the understanding Jesus. And I want to show you over these next five hours, I mean five minutes or so, uh, these next few minutes or so, uh, just how we can understand Jesus. How Jesus understands us and how we can trust him. And in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 15, it's entitled this, Jesus the Great High Priest. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize or, or in other versions, sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin yet he did not sin i want to focus really on verse 15 today because i feel like there's so much richness in that but i always feel like it's important to read around it and we're going to read verse 16 in a bit um so don't worry i haven't just missed that off i've done it purposely we're going to pick it up in a little bit but jesus became like us to experience all of humanity he experienced birth life death joys sorrows pains happiness uh, weakness. Jesus knows what it's like to be a frail human being. Sometimes I think when we read the Bible literally, as it is, and I'm not saying that's completely wrong, if we just read it literally, we miss some of the stuff that's going on in the background as well. It doesn't say that Jesus didn't, that Jesus had a cold, does it, ever in the Bible, but I assume he probably got a cold at some point, so he felt the fragility of his body. I'm assuming as a child, he ran and fell over and bumped his knee and hurt himself. I'm assuming, and this is an assumption, as a carpenter's apprentice, he might have bashed his finger a few times. I, just before Christmas, smashed my thumb open here at the church because I was being a bit silly with a hammer outside and it was getting dark and I was trying to hit something and I ended up hitting my thumb and split my thumb open. And it really, really hurt. And I didn't realise until I came in and said to Dave, I was like, I'm bleeding, can you help me? And I looked and went, ugh. <laughs> but I'm assuming Jesus had accidents at work as well. We don't have his NHS records. We don't know. I'm assuming he suffered at times with mental health, as we all do. And therefore, he understood the fragility of life and how fragile we are as human beings. And this is what gives him the ability to sympathize with us and empathize with us. It still amazes me. We talked about last, last week about him being the creator of the cosmos. We talked about the sun and how big that was. And then we talked about beetle geese, which is even bigger. And we talked about the galaxies. And the psalmist writes that the, that the God who created them, which is Jesus, breathes out these stars. And that same God knows us. Like, how is mad is that when we start to get our head around that? He still wants to know us. And when I stop and think about that, what we worship a God who can sympathize with us, empathize with us, it is so simple yet so profound in so many ways, isn't it? How many of the world's gods are able to do that? Because there are hundreds of gods that you can choose from, but there's only one that can truly sympathize and empathize with you because he's the creator and sustainer of all things and his name is Jesus. Why would God do that? And the answer can only be love because he loves you. And he loves me. Thankfully, he loves me. He loves us. How does God do that? By becoming one of us. God's son chose to empty himself of his divinity and to live a mortal life just like us in, able, sorry, in order to be able to sympathize and empathize with us. In order for us to connect with him and understand him. 
You know, the writer of Hebrews, we read earlier, describes Jesus as our great high priest. The high priest stood between God and the people of God. Uh, and once a year, he would enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And th- there he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed lamb on uh, the, the mercy seat, that they would call it. And he would go in, he would sprinkle it. And that would kind of absolve them of their sins for that year. So whatever you've done in that year, I guess they've, I've got this image of them all like banking the last few days, doing some really bad stuff towards the last few days. Like, let's get it in there quick because he's about to mercy seat it. Come on. And then they're good for the first six months and then get bad again. But you see, Jesus was that person. So they would do this, they'd sprinkle it over. And Jesus is described as this high priest. But he doesn't just stop at him being the high priest where he would sprinkle the, the sacrificial lamb's blood. He was the sacrificial lamb. As well, you see, it was his blood that was spilled, sacrificed in order for you and me to receive the forgiveness that we have today, in order for us to live in the freedom that we do. Now, you might think this great and high heavenly high priest would be out of touch with us, that he wouldn't understand us, uh, but actually, he totally gets the problems, the difficulties, and the temptations that you and I face. And the promise to remind that reminds us of, of this is because Jesus faced every temptation that we face. He understands our struggles and our temptations. So the question then is, what does Jesus understand and how can we re- be reassured that Jesus gets us? I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. Some of you will know it. Um, about 14 years ago in May, coming up, yeah, May coming up, I... Uh, got into my car, I was, I was drunk, and I crashed my car, so I got I crashed it drink driving, effectively, and uh, I crashed it into a really historical old property, it wasn't great for me, and I decided to run away from the scene of the crime, and I ran away, and my car exploded, and uh, I got away with it, no, I didn't really, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I don't know why I can make a joke of that, I didn't get away with it, what happened was, a few hours later, I got arrested in front of my parents, and uh, I was put into a cell, they interviewed me under caution and all those things, and I was charged with drink driving and damage to a property as well. It, was, it wasn't a great outcome, to be honest with you. It was, it was a very miserable time. And I remember coming home that, n- that next day, it was bank holiday, Sunday night that it happened, and so the next day was bank holiday Monday, and I was supposed to be out with some friends, and um, I was only 21 at the time. I decided I couldn't face that, so I went home. The police dropped me off at home. My mum and dad didn't really know how to deal with me at that point in time. I didn't know what to do, so I went to my bedroom and just hid and just put the quilt over my head and just wanted the the earth to swallow me up at that point. I felt so full of guilt and shame and pain and sorrow, and I just hated myself at that point in time. That same day, because it was Bank Holiday Monday, my godparents were around my house. My godfather is a very, 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 very holy man. He's a very godly man. He's a very straight shooter, and he doesn't mince his words. Uh, and uh, he, is, he was also an elder at the church that I was a member of at the time. And he came in, and I thought, oh, I could feel his presence. I didn't know he was there, but I could feel his presence. And I didn't want to speak to him because I just thought, he's going to make me feel even worse right now. He's going to tell me I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Do you know what he did? He came in, he sat on the side of my bed, he put his hand on my head, or where he thought it was, which it was, thankfully, my head, and he just said, I don't understand why you've done what you've done, but I want you to know that we love you. I want you to know that your mum and dad love you, even though they don't know what to say, they love you, I love you. And when you're ready, I'm here to help you 
to not make that choice again. I'm here to help you. And I want you to know, no matter what, we don't judge you. We all make mistakes. And it's going to be okay. God's kept you alive for a reason. And honestly, like, it took me a while to process what he'd done. It was like, he went. It was like a two-minute interaction. He went. But it felt like two hours that he was there. And it was just like, I suddenly felt peace. About, I, and it was weird because I shouldn't feel peace in that situation. Anyway, th- what, what the point I'm trying to make is this. Jesus, when he meets us, he does not meet us and leave us there. He doesn't condemn us or judge us. But he meets us knowing all of us. Uh, he's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Psalm 139 says this. You comprehend my path, my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. He knows us so intimately. He knows why we do what we do. And he doesn't stand back remaining distant from your pain and your mess doesn't go oh gosh I don't want to get involved in that that is too messy for me but actually he does the opposite he wants to crawl down into the deepest darkest part of your life and if you'll let him he wants to wrap his arms around you and he wants to whisper comfort to your pain he doesn't condone your sin he condemns your sin but he does it in a gentle and loving and kind manner he doesn't say, oh, that's okay, you just get a get-out-of-jail-free card, crack on and do things, do it again. But he says, actually, you're better than this, because I've made you better than this, and you can be better than this. You see, just like my father, and sorry, my godfather, who came in that day and sat on the end of my bed and wanted to get into my, my quilt, put his hand on me to reassure me that he still loved me, your father in heaven wants to do the same with you. He wants to whisper comfort to your pain. And more than that, he wants to infuse you with strength to withstand whatever comes your way. As a result of what my father-in-law said to me, it's always rang into my ears that God has kept you, because I could have died in that car crash, it was horrendous, but he kept on saying to me, God has kept you alive for a reason. God has kept you alive for a reason. And I hold on to that often. When I'm making mistakes in my life, it's like, God's still got a reason, still got a plan for me. I want to reassure you that God wants to whisper comfort to your pain and he wants to infuse you with strength. Verse 15, remember it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. You see, Jesus understands all. There is nothing that he is not acquainted with, and and also nothing he has not faced that we do not face. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible is also the shortest, and it says this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, up north, uh, that's a bit of a, <laughs> a curse up there. Most of my family from Yorkshire will say that as a bit of a curse. But actually, there's so much power in two words. Jesus wept. This is from the story of Lazarus, who was one of Jesus' best friends. And it, is, it reassures us that Jesus understands what life is like for us. He understands pain. He wasn't bulletproof, Jesus. He doesn't ask anything of us that he isn't willing to do himself. And he promises to be with us in all that we have to go through. If you're a leader in the room, or you're a young person in the room, and you'll potentially want to be a leader in the future, this is how you lead. You don't ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, and you're not willing to go there yourself. This is how Jesus led. Jesus is the greatest leader of all time, the greatest leader, and we know that because he has the greatest movement still, the biggest movement in the world still, 2,000-odd years later, is the best-selling book and the greatest leadership track ever. If you want to know how to lead, follow Jesus. And he was, wasn't willing to ask you to do something that he's not willing to do himself or experience himself. In my final sort of 10 minutes, I want to show you some examples of what Jesus faced and also then how we choose gold top Jesus. 
how we can live with assurance we are trusting in the fullness of his understanding and empathy and love. Hebrews 4.15 makes it clear that Jesus doesn't only understand the theory of our weakness. It's not like in a book that he's read, but he understands the feelings of our problems too. And I think that's really important. This isn't a theoretical thing, but it's something that he has practiced, he's experienced, and he understands. He stood where we stand and faced the same sort of problems that we face. And you may think, oh, hang on a minute, that don't make sense to me, because 2,000 years ago, he didn't have the same temptations that we did. Social media wasn't there like it was then. Now, financial issues, there wasn't the financial crashes and all that stuff that we faced. What about the family pressures and the blended families and all the things that we face now? Do you think that he dealt with that? Let's just have a look. Have you had a tough life? Would you say you had a tough life? Guess what? So did Jesus. He was born in a stable and he lived a very humble life. Do you have housing problems? Do you own your own house, long to own your own house? Or you struggle to get on the rental market? Listen, Jesus had no place to lay his head. Do you, rem- do you have family responsibilities that weigh you down? Do you feel the pressures of your family upon you at this moment in time? This is Jesus. There was no mention of Joseph, his father, past the age of 12. Most scholars believe that Joseph's, Jesus' father, died before he went into full-time ministry. He went into ministry at 30, which means that there's like 16, 17 years where we don't really know where Joseph was. Most scholars believe that he died, which means that Jesus assumed the responsibility as the head of the household, as the eldest male, which means that he would have looked after his mother financially, his brother's sisters. And then three years after he went into ministry, guess what? He hung upon a cross and he looked his his mother in the eyes. And one of his thoughts, I would assume, would be, who's going to care for mom? He's going to look after her. He's going to take care of my mom at that point in time. So does he get family responsibilities? Absolutely. Do you ever feel like people put you down or or, or undervalue you? You see, those who lived in Nazareth saw him only as the boy who had grown up among them, the son of Joseph and Mary, the the carpenter's lad. When he tried to reveal his true identity to them, do you know what they did? They tried to stone him, called him a blasphemer. Do people uh, slander you and make unkind remarks about you? Maybe they bully you at school or college or work. Do you guess what? They call Jesus illegitimate, a glutton and a drunken for how he behaved. Uh, Maybe you feel like you're a little bit misunderstood at times, that people don't truly understand you or get you. Uh, Jesus is with you. Uh, He ate with the dregs of society, and they said that he was just as bad as them. He healed the paralyzed man, and they called him a blasphemer. Uh, He cast out demons, and they said he did it by the power of Satan. Are you under too much pressure at home or at work or in life? Have you got financial pressures? Have you got emotional relationship pressures? Here we go. Jesus uh, followed, the crowds followed Jesus everywhere until he was so tired and weary with it that he slept in a little boat in the middle of a storm. Jesus totally gets where you're at. Are you hated or unjustly treated? The Pharisees, which is the religious folks of the time, saw Jesus as a threat and they hated him so much that they determined to destroy him. They arrested him. They rigged his trial, arranged his execution, and his judge knew that he was innocent but condemned him to death anyway. Do you feel unwanted ever, feel rejected in those moments? And they all cried out. This is what the Bible says. And they all cried out at once saying, away with this man, that's Jesus, release to us Barabbas. This is at Jesus' trial. They chose a murderer over the prince of peace. 
do people ever ridicule, ridicule you? They laughed at him. They taunted him. That is, and that is they hung him and dying on the cross. They taunted him and said that he could save others, but not himself. I don't know if you suffer physical pain or emotional pain. Listen, Jesus suffered those things as well. Towards the end, they beat Jesus, so much so that they plucked his hair out of his beard. Uh, they uh, broke his bones. They whipped him so he bled. And then they hung him on a cross. He understands physical pain. They smashed a crown of thorns upon his head. See, gold top Jesus understands everything that, that it means that we're going through. And when I say everything, it means everything. And I'm not going to have chance this morning in these next few minutes to go into everything because of time. But I can convey in a short period of time this truth. That Jesus understands what you're going through right now and where you're at. He understands the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm so grateful for that. Jesus, key thing, Jesus understands our sin. Oh, sin. We don't really talk about that. You don't hear me say that often. It's not a sexy word, is it? Sin in church. But let me say, sin is a word that we should be using at times. And if you don't know what sin is, you've never heard what the word sin means. Sin basically means missing the mark. When we do things that aren't quite right, don't reach that level where we should be at. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he did so bearing the full weight and responsibility of our sin and affliction. He did it willingly and ready. But I I think when we say that we... When we say that, we kind of numb it down a little bit. We kind of don't realize truly the depth of our sin. But you know, when we've done something wrong, that, that day when I came back from the police station and I was lying in my bed, I just wanted the world to beat me up because I was full of shame. We say a lie or we, we take something that's not quite ours. We shave off a little bit here and we do this that we shouldn't be doing. Or we, or we say stuff that we don't mean or we hurt those that we love. It hurts us as well. You see, Jesus... He carries that full weight and responsibility, not just of mine or yours, but everybody, of everybody. It's an unreal amount of stuff that we can't think. And we just think, oh, well, he's kind of, you know, there's this kid song, Jesus is our superhero. And we kind of put him in that bracket of the Marvel superheroes. But he's not a Marvel superhero. He was still a man. He experienced the full amount of humanity, even though he was God. 1 Peter 2.24 reminds us of this. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Not by his body, by his prayers, not by his, um, you know, the nice meal that you, he shared with his mates, not by the healing of the old man down the road or, or of all those many hundreds of people that we know he healed. But by his wounds, you have been healed. It doesn't just talk about physical wounds there, by the way. Because there's emotional wounds that we don't even see or understand. Jesus heals you by his wounds. It is the countercultural thing that Jesus does. What does this tell us? It tells us that in the fullness of our sin, not just what we did or thought or experienced, but actually the why behind why we do these things. The driving thing behind it. He understands it because he understands our brokenness. But as a result, he doesn't judge us with a condemning hand, but embraces us with a loving arm. Jesus knew temptation. If you don't think he did, just read uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, <laughs> verses 13. It says this, that he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan, being tempted by the devil. He, he, he showed him all this stuff. He said, if you're thirsty, just knock that and get some water. Make some bread. You could be the king of the world. I'll give it all to you. He tempted him with so much stuff, more stuff than you and I will ever be tempted with. But here's the key thing. Jesus also understands 
how to overcome it. He doesn't just say, oh, yeah, I'm brilliant. I'm the son of God. But he actually understands how to overcome it. And when we're struggling with a certain sin, whether that be pride, whether that be lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, anger, envy, and anything else along those routes, uh, Hebrews 2.18 tells us, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Often when we think about temptation, we think about being tempted with a piece of chocolate cake or money or something like that or sex or whatever. But we can be tempted to be prideful. We can be tempted to speak slander over somebody, to have envy. We can be tempted uh, to, to, to have lustful thoughts, to be gluttonous, uh, to be lazy. Ugh, it's called entitlement, effectively. That's what sin is. It, it, it tempts us to feel entitled about our lives. So I, can, I deserve this. But you see, Jesus faced it, and he understands also how to withstand it and overcome it. Therefore, Jesus understands our emotions and our pain. He experienced both temptation, most notably in that encounter we talked about with Satan in the, in the desert for 40 days. But also, he, he experiences testing in his passion for you and for me. When he went to the cross, he, he knows what it's like to be tempted to sin, but he also knows what it feels like to be tested by the suffering that he experienced in those moments. Jesus knows what it's like to be tested and tempted. This means that Jesus understands when we are tempted and tested. He knows the magnetic pull of sin, even though he was always able to resist it. And he knows how it feels to endure pain, rejection, and injustice. Therefore, Jesus is able to help us when we're struggling, not by standing apart from us. He's not like a, a football manager stood on the sidelines barking orders at us and telling us how terrible we're playing at this moment in time. He's not saying, you, you, you've dropped the ball again, you're doing rubbish. He's actually like a player manager. He's involved on the pitch with us. He, he, he's one of the guys. He's hugging the, hugging the players. He's encouraging from the back. He's, come on, guys, we can do this. Let's get better. You see, we know all these things. Because while Jesus was offering his empathy and his wisdom to us, in the garden, Jesus felt the full weight of our emotion and pain. He cried out these words, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I don't know if you've ever felt so helpless in your life that you just think, oh, I just need, I'm going to end it all. If I'm being totally vulnerable with you, I, I've suffered with anxiety and depression all my life. There's been moments where I've felt like that. I have felt like that. But that's just one person feeling like that. Imagine carrying all the weight of the emotion of the world upon your shoulders. And him just saying, oh, I can't cope with this anymore. It's, it's, it's better for me to not be here. That's how difficult it was for him. Jesus knows our sin, which is when we miss the mark or the result of others sinning against us, can cause us to feel lonely and rejected. And I don't know if you've ever felt rejected or forgotten about, like even the people closest to you have turned their backs on you. And I know that I have. I know that I've felt rejected by family and friends, colleagues, and I've done the same to them when they've hurt me. And as a result, at times, I've felt isolated uh, and alone, like I have nowhere to turn, no one to help me. Jesus, too, felt like that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his disciples, those ones closest to him, almost like family, his brothers, basically. He said, keep watch over me. I'm going to go and pray. Can you just stay awake and keep watch? Guess what? They didn't. They fell asleep. He came back and he pleaded with them, please, can you just keep watch for me for five minutes? I just need this time with my father to settle my heart. Guess what? They fell asleep. He felt so rejected in that moment. 
Jesus felt the full weight of it all. You see, when he, uh, he begged them and pleaded them, they still fell asleep. He was then arrested because of one of his friends betraying him and selling him out. His best friend, Peter, rejected him and denied him even when he knew that Jesus needed a friend in order to save his own skin, basically. Jesus was rejected by his people and he still chose to save them. And upon the cross, Jesus felt the full rejection of his father and the loneliness when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his face away from him and said, I can't even look at you. I said that this week to one of my boys because they'd really done something naughty in the house. I can't even look at you. Go away from me. And about 30 seconds later, I was like, I'm really sorry. Come and give me a hug. I love you. But you see, Jesus experiences his father rejecting him totally. Why have you forsaken me and left me here on the cross to take the punishment for all of these dirty, rotten sinners? I don't deserve this. And there's no response. It's just rejection. But you see, Jesus overcame it. It didn't end for him at sin, and nor does it end for you and me at sin either, which is why we can trust that Jesus understands us. You see, it didn't end at sin. It began at God, and it ends with God. Our sin is just gets in the way. But Jesus, he came to move us away from a place of sin into a place of holiness with the Father, a place of acceptance and freedom. And this is what we are offered on a daily basis when we come to the Father, a place of acceptance and freedom, not a place of, of condemning and, and actually judgment. We know when we do wrong. We don't need others to tell us. We know what we're doing is wrong at times. We need as the Father to encourage us and to remind us that he has forgiven us and that he loves us and that he doesn't want us to do that again because he wants to move us forward. You know, as a father, sometimes our kids keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you say, why are you doing that? I've told you about 400 times. Stop doing it. And the response I often get is, I forgot, sorry. And I think that's the same for us. That the Lord is so patient, far more patient than I'll ever be. Why are you doing that, Adam? I forgot, Lord, I'm really sorry. But you just said 30 seconds ago you weren't going to do it. I know, I'm really sorry. It's okay. Just dust you down. Just remind you that I love you. This cost, it hurt me. But you're worth it. Keep going. That's what the Father wants to say to you this morning. So let's read that passage again in Hebrews 4. And let's add verse 16 because it's important. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great and high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is able to be tempted. Sorry, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is verse 16, which is important. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that beautiful? Why is Jesus gold top? Because he understands. He understands where you're at. He understands what you're going through. And he doesn't leave you there. Jesus shows us that knowing and loving God is the key to overcoming the trials and tribulations that we face. Jesus says it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he's reminding us. He knows, he understands, and he saves us. He doesn't leave us there, but does all these things to remind us that we can trust him and be led by him to something better. 
See, his sinless life is what we need. We need a faithful high priest. We need a great high priest. And this is what we have. We have one who doesn't just sprinkle the blood, but is the blood. It's such a powerful thing. And sometimes we can get this idea confused. We do not need a person to have the disease to understand what we're going through. We think, well, Jesus doesn't know what I'm, he hasn't, got, he hasn't dealt with it. He has dealt with it, but listen to this. Here is what I mean by this. A surgeon does not need to have a disease to be a skilled surgeon and to understand your situation. He doesn't need to have cancer to be a skilled surgeon in order to deal with your condition and give you the help that you need. In the same way, way Jesus does not need to have the sin because he was without sin to understand our condition and help us. He needed to be a human, and he needed to experience life the way that we experience it, so he can be the surgeon that we need. And Jesus wants to put the sin out of our life, just like a surgeon wants to put the sickness out of our bodies. He can be the great high priest we need because he understands our condition, and he has the ability to help us the way we need. How should, we, how should this truth affect our lives? How do we respond to that this morning as I come in to close? I think, first of all, we turn to Jesus for help, knowing that he understands us. How often is Jesus one of the last resorts? He should be the absolute first resort always. Always Jesus. Always Jesus. Reaching high up. Reaching high up. It means we actually have to do something. It's not reaching low for the green or the red or the, gr- or, or, or the blue, but reaching high up for gold top. We have to physically sometimes do something. Turn to him because he understands us. I think, second, we have to be sympathetic towards others because... Actually, it's so easy for us to judge other people so quickly. I, I, I'm, I'm such a judgmental person. Quickly, I, I, I look at people sometimes and go, <laughs> I'm terrible. And I want to be honest about that. And, and this isn't just me preaching to you. But I need to be more sympathetic towards others because we know how hard trials and temptations are for us. How many times have we failed ourselves and how forgiving God is to us. Therefore, we should respond and be forgive, forgiving to others. How do people experience gold-top Jesus if they've never even encountered the normal, uh, uh, encountered Jesus? They experience gold-top Jesus through you and through me, through our grace and mercy that we offer because he's offered it to us because we've been freely to the throne of grace. I think we need, if we can't do that, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to increase our faith. Spiritual gift faith. <laughs> some people think that's a funny one, really, because we all, sh- we all have faith in Jesus, but sometimes some of our faith levels down here and others have got faith level up here. It doesn't matter what you do to them or say to them. They're like, oh, it's okay, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Uh, um, uh, others of us were up and down, up and down, up and down. I, I love it when I watch some people have got faith as their, their spiritual gift because they're just like walking on mountains, basically. And they, they, wanna, they just believe m- for miracles all the time. You know, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to increase our faith levels. I wasn't joking when I said earlier that I believe that God, and I keep winding Jane up with this, I truly believe that if this town is to be saved, stop putting limits on God. Stop it. That's not what he's asked us to do. It's not about this church, by the way. It's about all of the churches coming together. I truly believe that and deep in my heart that God has called us to something greater, something bigger, that he should increase our faith levels if you want to see your neighbours saved, increase your faith levels. If you want to see your, your family saved, increase your faith levels. We, speak, we sang that song earlier, let's speak Jesus. If you want to see your situations change, increase your faith levels to see it. Ask the Holy Spirit to enter into it. 
not in a weird, it's not like drinking, eating spinach like Popeye and suddenly like, oh, that's good. But it's, but it's something holy, it's gentle. The Holy Spirit wants to gently lift your, your faith and encourage you and push you further. And finally, listen, sometimes we've just got to be humble and accept where we go wrong. We're not perfect, none of us. Not even me. Shock horror. I know, I know it's hard to believe looking at me. But I, but I am not perfect, nor, nor are you. And therefore we need to ask for forgiveness, knowing that we are forgiven. And knowing that he understands and he loves us in the fullness of his grace. And so this morning, I want to encourage you as we sing our last song. To sing this last song with faith that, that God's heart of Jesus wants to, to fill you up. He wants to fill you up. He doesn't want to just leave you there filled up. He wants to fill you up in order for you to understand that he understands you. That he wants others to understand him through you. And that as we offer love, grace and forgiveness to those around us, we start maybe to lift their faith levels as well. So let me just pray as the guys come back to lead us in worship this morning. Father, I, oh Jesus, I just thank you so much. Lord, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. Lord, it doesn't matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we fight for things, Lord God, it gets us absolutely nowhere except exhaustion. But it is by your spirit, Jesus, that we can accomplish the things we need to accomplish, that we seek forgiveness, Lord God, for the things that we have done wrong. And Lord God, that we become more and more like you. Lord, I pray this morning that Heavenly Father, you would pour out your Holy Spirit right now. That, Lord, we've already prayed this prayer, that you'd break through those areas that need breaking through, Lord Jesus. That you would increase the levels of our faith to beyond our understanding and imagination right now, Lord Jesus. And that, Father God, as we reach for you, that we physically have to maybe make a different posture change, that we would stand, that we'd have our hands open to receive from you, we'd reach from you, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would come, Lord Jesus, and start to impact our hearts, impact our lives, that the words would come, Lord Jesus, to pray, that the wisdom would come, Lord God, the peace would come that we need, Lord God. Father, that we'd step away from this routine that we're stuck in, that, Lord, I feel like that what you've spoken over us, Lord God, this morning is that, that you are doing something in deep within us, Lord God, privately, ready for a public release, Lord God. But I pray that we would step away from those things that hold us back, Lord Jesus, in trust of you, understanding that you understand us fully, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, as we worship you this morning, Lord God, would our faith levels just increase, we pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.